0: Welcome to episode 17, where today we are talking about overcoming habit and why your mindset matters. If you've ever tried to ignore a box of donuts at work, you know how hard it is to keep your hands to yourself and keep walking. And once you walk on by, that battle isn't over. Even if you're in a different room down the hall, you can't stop thinking about those donuts. Why is it so hard to resist something as small and seemingly innocent as a donut? It has to do with habit and your mindset. Your mindset is the way you perceive and approach anything you do. Mindset is basically a combination of motivation and perception. It's the why you are doing something coupled with how you feel about doing it. And how you feel about something is what drives your behavior. Let me give you two example mindsets. Fake person number one, Karen, she says, I'm fat and no one is going to love me while I'm fat. I have to lose weight. I better not eat too much or I'm going to gain weight. I can't trust myself around food. I have to write it all down or I'll lose control. I can't gain weight. I have to lose weight to be loved. Fake person number two, Sharon, says, I need to take care of my body. If I don't take care of myself, how can I take care of anyone else? I respect myself. Eating healthy and being mindful of what I eat is an act of respect, kindness, and honor. Going to the gym keeps me strong and helps me reduce stress. Taking care of my body is a priority. I feel more balanced when I am mindful and journaling helps keep me mindful. I deserve to have whatever I desire. I take action to fulfill my desires and be healthy. Now I get it. These are pretty extreme. And most people are somewhere in between most of the time. Each mindset However, will produce a change in behavior, like trying to get more movement throughout the day, mindfully eating meals, and trying to make the best food choices you can. But, they will produce completely different feelings about the actions they do, the behaviors, and the habits that they are trying to change. And the differences in the long-term outcomes for each example I presented is very different. With our first example, Karen, her desire for change comes from a place of self-loathing. And so, the changes in behavior will be short-lived. They will eventually fall apart and end up being self-destructive. When she falls off the wagon, she's likely to stay off the wagon, shaming herself. For our second example, Sharon, her behavior comes from compassion and respect for herself, and so the changes in her behavior will likely be sustainable and self-developing. When Sharon messes up, she'll simply get back up and keep going because her behavior was never driven by pass or fail criteria, only continuous improvement. So when both Karen and Sharon are faced with a donut in the break room, they both feel the draw. It's part of our biology to want highly palatable foods. In his book, The End of Overeating, Dr. David Kessler, M.D., explains the breakdown. He says, When you taste foods that are highly palatable, such as foods containing excess sugar, fat, and salt, your brain releases opioids into your bloodstream. Opioids are brain chemicals that cause you to have intense feelings of reward and pleasure as well as relieving pain and stress. The pleasurable effect is similar to the feelings that morphine and heroin users experience. The desire may be so intense that you keep taking one bite after another. It can be hard to stop. And this explains why we keep eating. But why do we give in and approach the donut box to begin with? Why can't we just refuse it? And this is where one of the most destructive and overlooked mindsets comes into play. Deprivation and Restriction. When we talk about deprivation, we're talking about restriction. And you probably have felt some sort of unpleasant emotion when I said those words. The thing to realize is is that you don't have to restrict calories down to 500. You don't have to eat zero carb. There's no one specific thing that you must eliminate in order to feel deprivation. You can generate feelings of deprivation and restriction by not allowing yourself to have something you want. As an example, if you are really thirsty but tell yourself you cannot have anything to drink, you will feel deprived and restricted. The more restricted and deprived you feel, the stronger your cravings will become the more motivated you're going to become to go get that drink or to go make a copy in the copy room, which just so happens to be across from the break room where the donuts are. The battle of the donut that started outside of you becomes an internal battle of strength, willpower, and fortitude the moment you start feeling deprived and restricted about not eating that donut. Some people do battle with donuts and bagels by avoiding the break room completely and eating lunch at the desks. If they don't see it, they don't want it. If they don't want it, there's no battle. And this generally, this simplistic approach can be beneficial and usually requires the least amount of effort on our parts. But today I want to share some tips for how to navigate those unavoidable landmines like donuts in the break room or your roommate orders pizza. The thing is, is that it takes an imagination to create a craving. Usually, it takes more than a split second of thought. We create cravings by lingering with a mental image or adding additional sensations to what we already have. If you think about or see bread and then think about work or your TPS reports that are due or getting the kids to school, that is if you spend no time on the mental image of bread, if you do nothing else to it, you will likely not create a craving for it. It will be just like you saw a flower or a chair with no emotional response. However, If when you see that bread, you think about warm bread with melted butter and jam or avocado toast or even crunchy, salty garlic bread, then you've spent time on it. You gave it details, and those details are what make it live, what bring it to life. This is why food advertising works so well. They spend a minute and a half showing you images of the food in its most delectable state with sounds of it cooking or the sounds and images of people eating it and how it makes them feel while using descriptive words designed to make that image feel real and implant it into your brain. And while this podcast isn't about the art of persuasion and how they get you to buy their food, it is important because the tactics they use to get you to buy their food are also the tactics your mind uses to create cravings and make you go get what it wants. See, food is a part of our built-in reward system. It's designed to help us survive. Dopamine is a brain chemical that motivates us to seek out the donut so that we can get the opioid release. We remember how good it tasted and how great it made us feel. And dopamine energizes us to do the work for that donut. It causes us to concentrate on it and drives us to seek it out. And once this process happens a couple of times, the whole cycle becomes a habit that is very reward-focused, and very ingrained, and very hard to break. Your brain's circuitry has become mapped and wired to want the donut. And you don't even have to be near the donut for this process to start. The dopamine can kick in even when there are no donuts in sight. As an example, have you ever made a run to the store for a treat? that you just had to have right then simply because you thought of it. This is because of this craving part of your brain and its pleasure-seeking desires. And so the good news is is that you can change the path that you're on starting right now. We can rewire your brain and begin reducing the power that these craving-producing foods have over you. And the secret to remapping your mind is mindset, how you think about it. First and foremost, it helps when there's something that you want more than you want those fleeting moments with donuts or chocolate chip cookies or ice cream or what have you. You've heard me talk about your why before, and that's really what we're talking about here. What's your why? If you have a major health concern, then your why may be that, but if you are in relatively good health with only you know unwanted weight or fitting into a pair of jeans being your concern then this part may be a little bit harder for you. But either way, identify what it is that you really want. Even make a list of all the things that you really want. Maybe you want to drop a couple of jean sizes. Maybe you want to get off of your blood pressure medication. Maybe you want to run a marathon or be able to travel to a new country and enjoy its sights and sounds without having to stop and take a rest every few feet. Maybe you want to keep disease at bay, or maybe you just want to have that immense satisfaction of being able to control yourself around food. I think it's important to understand here that people who can't resist food have basically given away their power. Food has control over them. And, you know, my whole purpose in being here is to give you back your power and that's why having an important and all-powerful why is so important it's really helpful if your why is so important that it can stop you in your tracks Um, but not everybody has one of those and that's okay so if you are one of those people who's been wanting to release weight for a while, chances are that you've been, you know, saying that for years and you know, your, your list of desires includes, you know, looking better in the mirror and looking good in a swimsuit and maybe you want that little black dress and all of those things are really important until you get fired or until you get PMS or until you're having a really bad day and then the food is more important. And your goal can wait until tomorrow or next week. So try and come up with something that is so important to you that you won't give up and won't give in no matter what. Second, if you have certain foods that you really struggle with, then you might consider removing those from your environment. If you absolutely, without a doubt, even with a gun to your head, cannot withstand that food, then definitely get away from it. Stop chasing that dragon. If you can resist and you're choosing not to, sit down and see if you can determine why your food is so much more important than your hopes and your dreams and your goals. Ask yourself, why would you put this moment of pleasure before your pride in yourself? Why would you choose to stay in this place which let's be honest, is a place that you say that you hate or would do anything to get out of, but then eat something that deliberately keeps you there. This isn't really about beating yourself up. It's about trying to understand your motivations so that you can work with them and create solutions that will work for you. There are two basic ways that cravings nag at us. The first way is the kind of craving that shows up and then gets stuck in there, growing and getting bigger and bigger and bigger. These are the kinds of cravings that you may do battle with for days. These are the kinds of cravings that may be particularly detailed, which is what makes them so hard to kick out of your mind. In the moment, if you find yourself struggling with a particularly strong food craving, number one, Congratulate yourself for putting up this much of a fight. Number two, you can try EFT tapping, which is very beneficial for breaking the hold cravings have on us. And number three, try a little aversion therapy on it. What is something gross or nasty that you could mentally add to this food that would make you not want to eat it? Maggots, a scabby band-aid, hair, a roach, Whenever you're struggling with a particularly stubborn craving, do something nasty or gross to it and see if that loosens its hold on you. The second way that a craving kind of gets a hold on us is what I call like flash cravings. These are cravings that you spend no time with. You give them no energy. You go about your day, but you keep finding that they keep coming back. You keep getting a flash of a hamburger or a flash of a candy bar. Again, you spend no time on it. You keep going about your business, but it starts to nag at you the fact that it keeps popping up, it keeps coming up. I want you to realize that you're doing exactly what you should be doing. Going about your day, ignoring it, acknowledging the craving for exactly what it is, just a thought, and letting it go. And you're moving on. A lot of us get stuck on these kinds of cravings when we realize that they've come up more than once. And we start passing judgment on how often they're coming up. When you make a mental judgment on the frequency of your mental images and thoughts, that only makes it worse and that actually causes it to go ahead and get stuck. When you're thinking about that mental image of a hamburger or whatever it is that's come up and you go, wow, you know, I've had that five times today. You get stuck on the five times. And then you're counting. Oh, well, there it is six times. There it is seven times. And the thing to realize, everyone has cravings. Everyone has thoughts. Just because you have a thought does not mean that you must act on the thought. Just because you have That thought frequently does not mean that you are weak-willed or a bad person. And most importantly, giving in to those thoughts usually does not make them go away long-term. It only puts them off for a while. In reality, giving in to cravings only keeps your craving pumps primed and ready to go with the next round of withdrawal symptoms. And these tips are great. And really very useful for dealing with a craving once it has shown up and the battle has started. But wouldn't it be, I don't know, easier if the battle for the donut never started? If the craving never got established? If you never really wanted it in the first place? This little magic trick of mindset is about getting real and honest about things. One of my mentors, Marissa Peer, tells a story about being addicted to cola. She tried to quit, but all she could think about was the taste and how she missed it. And then she read research about colas and all the things they do to a body, and it stuck with her that colas can leach the calcium from bones. And so she labeled them osteoporosis in a can. And from that point forward, because of the label, which meant something to her, she no longer wanted the colas. This is similar to aversion therapy in a way, but not exactly because we're not adding anything gross or unsavory. We're simply telling it like it is. Donuts, cakes, cookies, and other highly processed foods spike your blood sugar. That's a fact. Even if you're not concerned about diabetes, sugar can cause extra fat around your liver. It can increase your blood pressure. It affects your cholesterol negatively. It can make you more hungry. It can create depression in some people. And it's bad for your skin, so say hello to wrinkles. Now, I'm not trying to talk you out of eating sugar. This is really about knowledge. If you knew that a food or a drink had, say, Roundup in it, would you eat it or drink it? Not only no, but hell no. You don't have to research every single food, but this method can be really helpful if you're trying to ditch a particularly addictive food. Use what you know about yourself. What turns you off about a food? Seeing huge quantities of it, seeing how it's made, understanding what each of those ingredients is and where they all come from. As an example, I had a client who had an addiction to Nutella and What actually fixed it for her was seeing the quantities of the ingredients broken down. So seeing how much sugar was in the Nutella versus how much of the hazelnut, how much of the chocolate. Seeing the quantities of sugar kind of skeeved her out and she realized she didn't really want that anymore. Donuts for me are no longer an issue, not because of something I read, but because of one experience, one of the last experiences I had with a donut. It had been forever since I had had one, and I thought, you know, it's been forever. I'll just have one. I remember they they tasted so good, and I'm not gonna give you the brand name on them because, you know, that would be bad. But I took my first bite, and all I could taste were the ingredients. It tasted like wheat flour paste, like wheat flour and water. and sugar and rancid oil and it was kind of gross and pretty much every time I now see a donut I instantly get a flash of that rancid oil taste and that wheat flour paste flavor and I don't want it. I'm done. You know what? Battle is over before it begins. And that's how we keep the cycle of deprivation and restriction at bay. We realize that we have a choice and it's our choice. Many times when we are thinking about that donut, we think to ourselves, I can't have that. And that thought process of I can't have is what creates that cycle of deprivation and restriction. And that makes us want it even more, like I said. But when you have that thought, if you can change it and say, no, I don't want that, then you change it. It goes from an I can't to an I don't want. And you don't feel restricted about things you don't want. As an example, if you don't like, say, lima beans, do you feel denied, deprived, restricted, when everyone else is eating lima beans and you don't get to have any? Of course not, because you don't want them. And that's the kind of mentality we want to create towards these foods that you are trying to um, crowd out of your life. When you do the research on the food and find there are things that you don't like about it, or you realize that this food brings out things in you that you don't want, you know, perhaps it makes you depressed, perhaps it uh, makes you moody, or, or messes with your mental faculties and that's just not something you want in your life, then it becomes easy to say, Thanks, but no thanks. I don't want that. That's not something I want in my life. Just like you would say no to drinking gasoline or no to heroin or crack. So we built these habits and food patterns and cravings using this built-in mechanism that we have biologically. And so what we want to do is build new habits and patterns and programs using this same built-in reward system. In order to replace those food rewards, we want to use that same reward system. So make a list of all the things that feel good that don't involve food and preferably don't even involve your mouth. When you need a reward, do one of those things. When you resist a craving, give yourself a reward. It's important to realize that as you ignore the path of the craving and reinforce the path of this new reward or behavior, not only will you be beating the craving, but you'll be in the process of cooling the stimulus, as Dr. Kessler puts it. You will have taken the first step towards weakening the circuitry in your brain that drives you to habitual patterns of behavior. The next time it will be easier, and after that, even easier. If you need examples of things you can do, I urge you to check out the post on the website, The Ever-Growing List of Non-Food Rewards. And it's just what it says it is. It's an ever-growing, ever-updating list of rewards. Some are mine. Some are crowdsourced from folks like you who are thinking outside the box. So I'll make sure and put a link in the resources for this episode. And if you have any ideas that you'd like to share, send them my way, because... What helps you might help someone else, and we're all in this together. If you have any questions or concerns or comments, you can find me on Facebook at fb.me forward slash Coach Christy R. Hall or at my website, Hall.com. Thanks so much for listening in, and I'll talk to you soon.